Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. And today, we are doing a very special director spotlight on one of our most acclaimed directors of our time, Michael Haneke, the Austrian filmmaker. He's made some of the most acclaimed films of the past 20 years. He is one of the greatest directors in the international market. We love his films, and we also have a special guest joining us as we discuss this amazing director. We have Nick Martin in the studio. Hey, Nick, how's it going? What is up, guys? Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Well, not technically in the studio. We're on Zoom call. Now, Nick is a great friend of the show as well as he's been a chosen one patron for quite a while now. And when you're in that tier after three months, you get to come on the show in some capacity. We do fun guest spotlights. Uh, We've also done intermission people coming in. We've done ranking episodes with people. And Nick, since he's got a great exquisite taste in cinema. Exquisite. And he's been getting into Michael Haneke. We decided to just break down like the career of of Michael Haneke with the three of us. Just like a quick director spotlight. Have some fun. Maybe open people's eyes to his filmography. And if you are curious where you can find him, the Criterion Collection, the Criterion Channel is our favorite app. That's one of the best places to find his movies. You can rent them online also, on apps. Uh, Max usually has a few of his movies too. Okay, Max. They work with Giannis Pictures a lot. HBO yeah. Max, Max. The place, the one to watch for Hane- Michael Haneke. <laughs> <laughs> the one to watch for Haneke. <laughs> and Nick, Nick here also was a producer on our short film, Midnight Ruin. So we appreciate your support on that, pal. You're the so, man. You recently got into Michael Haneke the last, what, six months or so? Yeah, yeah. Thanks to you. I mean, um, you know, been a fan of the show for a little while and um, was hitting you up on Instagram one night, just kind of looking for a movie wreck, um, you know, looking for some some international influence stuff. Um, And you threw his name out there and you you were just like spamming me with like, I don't even know how many titles you sent. And I kind of just picked one out of the hat, one with the piano teacher. Um, which to, to this day after, you know, I've run through probably eight of his films, nine of his films um, is maybe my number one, definitely to a top two for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, immediate impact just from from what I saw um, on that film. So thank you for recommending uh, that, you know, this this guy to me and, and opening my eyes to some great international uh, cinema. <laughs> Anthony's well, a great recommendation guy for international thanks. film. He introduced me to Henneke years ago uh, with Funny Games yeah. was a movie, the first Michael Henneke movie I ever watched. Yeah. That, that's like, I think, the standard Henneke entry point for people in like America or in the UK that get exposed to his films because it's his most popular probably as well as it's been remade by himself in the Hollywood version as well, the English-speaking version. So I think because he's done it twice, this is the most popular and most, you know, talked about online, that's probably the main entry point for people into Henneke's career. But after, like, that was such a disturbing but incredible experience the first time I saw that. I've seen it, like, four times total, which I don't know if that says about me. <laughs> it but- was also, it was my first Henneke movie. It was the American version. And then I watched the the original Austrian version, and it blew me away. Um, and then the second film I watched was The Piano Teacher. And that The Piano Teacher was a film that really... When you watch that for the first time, and I was young, I was like 18, 19 when I watched that, it changes the way you look at movies and the way that storytelling can be, because Hollywood rarely does anything like that now. They used to, but we grew up in the 2000s, and that stuff, that just didn't happen in, in Hollywood films. So you see what he, I saw what he did with the piano teacher, and then from then on, 
I watched all of his films, and I am a massive fan of both Juliette Binos and Isabelle Hubert, who I think are two of the greatest actors of the last 20, 25 years. And they are regulars in his movies uh, for a good reason, because even though he's Austrian, he's fluent in French and in English, but he makes a lot of films in France. About more than half of his films are in France. So those are two actors that he leans on with their incredible talent for many of his leads. And when it comes to... I would say, I guess, America accepting his films in terms of critical acclaim. You brought up acclaim seven times. In the, I said in the it intro. a lot. I said acclaim quite a bit. <laughs> Only really one of his movies has really tapped into the critical acclaim of institutions in the United States, I would say, with the Academy Awards and Golden Globes and stuff like that. So that would be a more, which came out in 2012. But, I mean, he's made so many movies. It's It's kind of sad that... Only one film of his, he's gotten the recognition from the ma- the most important institutions to cinema on the planet, especially coming out of ho- with Hollywood here with only one of his films. But he does make difficult films for audiences to relate to. They're disturbing. He is constantly crossing that line of relating to you as a cinema lover and a lover of stories to the disturbing and manic and most fucked up parts of humanity, which is why he's such an enticing filmmaker and why it's so interesting to go through his filmography. And when you, you watch his movies, then you're like, after you watch a movie like like with like Benny's videos, it's like, he I'm sure it comes up with a concept. And then you wonder the process of like, how do I get to that point of the film of just blowing the audience's hair back with this insane concept, this crazy situation? Let me set it up so well. Let me always lull them into a a false sense of security of it being, it's going to be a normal film. And it doesn't, it's not anymore. Funny Games, you could argue, is as quick as to disturbing you, especially with the music of the opening. Yes. But other than that, a lot of his movies, they open like the first act. It takes a few scenes at least to get to the the really point of disturbance for the audience, which is such, it's an intriguing style and I love it. It's interesting that you say that, you know, only one of his films has met uh, Hollywood recognition and that's a more... um, when I, when, if I was going to rank directors working today, he'd be in my top five. And he's definitely in the conversation for top 20 filmmakers of all time, I would say. But whenever I see people make lists of like their favorite directors, I'm always like, there's no way Haneke's on this list. There's no way Haneke's on this list. And they, he never is because uh, the majority of people are unaware of who he is because, like James said, his movies are not just challenging, but um, you have to really pursue them because they don't get that great of a distribution. So and and that's them. that's what's been, um, you know, what drew me in the most. And I, I don't think that the topics that he touches in his films um, are so taboo or, or so inherently disturbing that Hollywood wouldn't necessarily um, touch those same topics. But the way, you know, through his film techniques, the way that he's able to tell stories um, and the way that he's able to to showcase characters and relationships he does it in a way that Hollywood never would, um, which is, uh, you know, when I saw Piano Teacher for the first time and I, I saw um, things on screen done in ways that I could never even imagine like that being in a movie, um, just in terms of like how impactful it was and how real it felt. Um, that's what drew me in. And uh, although, yeah, a lot of his films are disturbing and they're hard to watch, um, you know, and and it's it it's weird to say that that's uh you know something that draws you into his films um but it's true and you know if you if you love film and you love the 
um, the filmmaking process. And that's something that you view movies through when you watch them and, and you look for, for certain techniques and, and how a director or storyteller tries to get to um, the root of, of the story that they're trying to tell through those techniques, then I think you're the right person to probably check out Haneke and, and what he does. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and human human beings are dark, and they have a dark nature, and he explores that. But what he does so well as a director in all of his films is the way that he is able to immerse the audience into the world, which I think adds to when he does flip the page, when he does turn things on his head, or he's he's hitting you in the face with something shocking. You're incredibly shocked because he, like you said, lulled you in, and the way he, the way he does that is with very long takes very minimalist filmmaking, very few edits. If you look at a Haneke movie, there aren't that many shots and there aren't that many edits whatsoever. Like you'll see more edits in one scene of a Hollywood movie than you will in an entire, in an, in, <laughs> Today, I'm not even yeah. kidding. That's not an exaggeration. In an entire Haneke movie, you will see less edits than in one scene of a Hollywood movie because he does these incredible long takes. He holds the camera. He'll hold the camera on empty space. He doesn't care what he does. What he's, he's like showing you that this is a real world. And the less you cut, the better if you want to immerse the audience. And he does an amazing job of portraying minimalism to put the audience into the world. And then he grabs you by the throat. And when it comes to American directors, I feel like the most comparable just off the top of my head is probably someone like Gus Van Sant, who, of course, has made really big movies like Goodwill Hunting and Milk that are very, you know, kind of typical Hollywood movies. But then something like Last Days or something like Elephants. Elephant, specifically. Yeah, Elephant, which is about the Bowling for Columbine, the, the Columbine kids. That movie feels very much like the tone and style of a Michael Haneke film. So I think that when it Paranoid comes to— Paranoid Park, too. Yeah, Paranoid Park. So when it comes to American filmmakers, not many can pull off the style of this European filmmaking that Haneke is mastered and the Dardens have done so well. Haneke going darker than the Dardens. But really, Gus Van Sant, when it comes to America, is the only American director off the top of my head that has made a career out of both doing great Hollywood-style films like Google Hunting and Milk, but also making these independent, small, just character-driven stories about disturbing things. Or it doesn't have to be disturbing. I mean, Last Days isn't quite as disturbing as Elephant, but it still has dark moments following this one character in a very realistic setting. So I would say... When it comes to American filmmakers, Gus Van Sant's the only one I think of when it comes to Henneke's style. Yeah, I, I watched an interview, uh, a short clip of- <laughs> Anthony's proud of me. Look at him. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen the film, so I can't I can't compliment. Oh, watch Elephant. Watch Elephant. Elephant. Yeah, watch Elephant. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, but I, I saw a brief clip of an interview with um with Henneke where he was asked about um how he would portray certain historical figures if he had the opportunity to do so, or if he would in the first place, especially, especially um, controversial ones like Hitler or, um, you know, other people like that. And he, he actually criticized Spielberg for Schindler's List because, and it was more of an overall criticism on Hollywood and how Hollywood has a tendency to portray historical events in, um, in a way that is intended to, guide the viewer to have a, a specific opinion about something rather than just presenting it at face value and letting people establish their own opinions for themselves. And I think that's exact, exactly what you're talking about, James, when you look at like 
what how he shows disturbing things and like that's why hollywood would never touch it right because if you if you take something like the piano teacher and you pump it into a hollywood um machine of of film the it's gonna come across to the viewer like why are you showing me this this is absolutely like this is the most horrible thing i've ever seen because hollywood has a tendency to to show things to people with like a with a, a qualitative sense to it of like bad or good um and, and i just don't think it would work um like that so it, that's a great interesting point. perspective from him just to, to in that interview yeah and also hollywood's tendency to try to weave out a happy ending um regardless of the story whereas you know if he made a film about world war ii it would be more objective than subjective he's i think he's an objective filmmaker even though a lot of what he does is complete fiction he is showing you disturbing things and challenging things, but he's not taking a side. And he's not making an opinion about it. He's just showing you, you know, this is a reality. There are people like this. And I, he likes to, sh- what's great is he shows the contradictions of, of people. And I think that what he does, I think that most people, if not everyone, they have um, things that they hide about themselves. And you really don't know um, anybody fully. And what he likes, what I like about many of his films, like The Piano Teacher. Um, like Benny's video, like the white ribbon, uh, like funny games is um, people present a certain thing about themselves, but in reality, they're hiding something much darker. And Isabel Hubert's character uh, is the, the greatest depiction of that, of someone who is a member of high society. She is a classical pianist and a classical piano teacher at the most prestigious music school in the country. And yet she is a sex, she's sexually depra- uh, depravative. Uh, she's she has sexual depravity she um is a very dark human being and she wants violence done upon her um it completely contrasts what she puts in the world as herself and who she represents to society but in a private in a private setting people obviously become themselves and i think he embraces trying to show this the true sides to people no matter how grim or dark or disturbing it can be. And it could just be someone walking down the street who looks a certain way. They might seem like average or normal in a way, but behind closed doors, they might be something else. Yeah, I feel like Hollywood in the you know 60s and 70s, they were more open to disturbing things with characters in film. But now, like you said, Nick, it's very qualitative where it has to be in a horror movie you get disturbing things or... Yeah, maybe some action movies here and there, but seldom do we get a situation where it's a, a person doing something disturbing. I don't want to spoil the things that happen in these movies for people who haven't seen them, but Benny's video is a one that comes to mind that's an incredibly jarring, disturbing situation that there's no way that movie could get made in America. Absolutely not. No Hollywood studio would want to make that movie. Nor because, the Seventh Continent. Yeah, I mean, this, the, there's no way that a studio would make that because, you know, media and social media would destroy it and make sure that it wouldn't be successful probably because it's... It's dark as hell, but humanity is dark as hell. And so with Hollywood, it has to be, if it's disturbing, it's in a horror movie, or it's a specific kind of disturbing. It's a serial killer. It's totally fine to show someone chopping someone to bits in a horror movie in, in, in America, but you give them a challenging situation like the character in The Piano Teacher or something else, and, and Hollywood doesn't want it. It's pretty odd, the double standard that happens there. And when there's more authenticity to the things that Michael Haneke does, maybe because it feels so real. Joker, you could say... If Todd Phillips was able to make a movie about a character that wasn't Arthur Fleck with that story 
it would have been really fascinating as well. But, you know, he's a clever director and he knows what he's doing and he knows in order to get a movie made like that, an old school disturbing dark film from the era of the 70s and 80s where Hollywood was at its peak here, I have to kind of Trojan horse this idea, put it inside of a superhero movie, superhero verse, so I can tell this crazy story that I have in my idea and infuse it in a way that Hollywood accepts it and then boom, a billion dollars because clearly people have a fever for this once they're shown it. Hollywood hasn't been showing it to people very often. And I think when people finally see things like this, that's why Joker, I think, was so successful. But Joker is a perfect example of how the media in the American culture turns it against itself by saying, you know, if you go to the movie, there's going to be your theater's going to get shot up and there's going to be a terrorist attack at Joker. So if you show Hollywood will never produce these films because Hollywood is part of the the cog of the, of the machine that destroys these kinds of things. If you try to show a movie about a family that commits suicide, that's not going to get shown in America and because people would say it's in, it's unhealthy and it's, it would encourage people to commit suicide families. Or um, if you show a, a teenage boy killing a teenage girl uh, just for fun, I mean, that's they're going to be like, oh, now if boys watch this, gonna, they're going to kill other kids um, because our media machine has absolutely no control for anything. And our, I think our culture has a lack of of understanding this kind of storytelling we're in europe maturity too yeah exactly in europe they embrace it yeah and and the irony is too that haneke does it intentionally neutralizes violence in his films like visually through you know a lot of off-screen violence um so you could make the argument that what what hollywood's producing is actually um has more negative influence on society than, than what something like Michael Haneke does because just because of the visual nature of it. Um, and, you know, something like the human centipede or hostile is like the only reason that that movie is made is to put violence on screen. And there's, there's no substance to it beyond that. So what's really worse at the end of the day in terms of um, influencing people and, you know, and, and one product is obviously, um, you know, significantly uh, more, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, but I guess. Um, well, it's being made just to sensationalize it. It sensationalizes just for profit, torture, and death. Whereas Haneke is saying something about society. And he, like you said, it has substance. And we like to say the thing with Joker is the reason why he had backlash because of its tone. Whereas a lot of the violence you see in movies, they take place in fantastical kind of worlds that the filmmakers create, whether it be John Wick with this fantastical assassin community and or or any other kind of extremely violent movie, whether it be horror movies. Horror movies, there's no such thing as monsters, so you can be as ruthless and violent as you want because we know it's not real. But Haneke, he shows you violence in a real situation that you could confront tomorrow. You know what I mean? That's that's what it changes, and it's not just like a, a villain of a movie committing the violence. It's a your next door neighbor committing the violence, or or a friend committing the violence, or or a, a parent. And that's what really irks people when they watch movies like this. The kinds of people who can't handle them, or they might dismiss it um, because it is it strikes it strikes such a chord deep down in the fiber of your being where you know it's true. And you know it's a reality, and a lot of people reject that because they don't want to realize how dark and how evil and cruel the world can be. He, he makes you feel like you're part of what's happening. He makes you feel like you're in that room 
with this person who's either dying or has been killed. And not every one of his movies is about people dying in disturbing ways. Yeah. But, I mean, when you th- talk about his most popular ones, I mean, Funny Games, everyone has seen or knows of Funny Games. You could argue these two serial killers who basically go house to house on a lakeside area to kill families. And he makes it feel so real. It makes you feel the impact of the loss of human life. And also breaks the fourth wall on that. Yeah. Yeah. But the but not, you don't even have to break the fourth wall to feel that impact, to feel like you're there. I mean, ben, Benny's video... I mean, the patient filmmaking makes it feel real, and I think that's what disturbs people the most. If, like, one person gets killed in a Henneke movie, it feels you feel the impact and weight of that more than John Wick killing 400 people in John Wick 4, which is a fun movie, but John Wick makes it cool. But no one cares about the families of all those people that got <laughs> shot in the face. I mean, you don't think anyone, any kids are going to be orphaned now or nothing <laughs> like that? No one gives a fuck. And it's because of the, the techniques that he uses. You know, Anthony talked about his use of long takes and, you know, even holding a frame. Like when, when he holds the frame like he does in uh, in Funny Games, and I, I don't want to go too much into spoilers, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. And when, when the TV's going in the background and after um, one of the family members had been, had been killed, um, it's what he's doing there is essentially he's having a staring contest with the viewer and he's forcing you or urging you to look away. He's putting you in a position where it's so uncomfortable um, that it starts to feel real. And, um, and, and he wants you to look away because he, he feels that that will, that type of reaction in the moment will have um Will, will have an effect on you not in a, not in a way like he's trying to traumatize you but he wants he wants to provoke you to think about what's happening in the film and if you can make emotional connections no matter what type of emotions those are um you'll come away from it with with, with that type of thought provoking perspective he's also uh incredible with embracing technology um the the three main films where he does that um is uh benny's video obviously and then Cash, also known as Hidden in, in English. And then Happy End. Um, embracing technology from videotape to um, digital video to an iPhone recording. And he likes to play around with that with uh, low-resolution video footage. Um, I think that's always so fascinating when I watch his movies because what other director has the balls to open his film with three minutes of low resolution video of a street only Haneke could do that and then it pulls out to them watching it on their tv in exactly. their you think you think you're gonna pan into the street and follow a camera but it's just there's you, you pull away and you see the the two people just watching it on their tv screen and yeah yeah and he's he's always been a contemporary filmmaker for the most part but then the castle which is an adaptation of a novel and then with the white ribbon, he's gone. Period, and his period pieces are really fantastic. The white ribbon, um, filmed in black and white, which is different from all of his other films, is his most. I think visually, he's the most striking film. Um, but also, it's a great example of how he likes to play with uh, power dynamics within communities, most notably that one. Um, and then also, I think that film it really has like the the best central villain of any of his stories. The uh, the White Ribbon, if you haven't seen it, I highly check, recommend checking that one out. It's a tough watch, um, but it's really incredible. What is your guys' favorite Henneke movie, and then what do you think is his best movie? I would say uh, my favorite movie is The Piano Teacher, but I would say his best film overall is Amour. 
Um, Amor is uh, the most gut-wrenching, raw, and truthful depiction of old age I've ever seen in a film. And it's one of the great tragedies of the century. Uh, it's really uh, a profound, powerful, uh, tragic tale of life and death. Yeah, that's where he got Oscar nominations is for Amor. How about you, Nick? Uh, I have the same exact response. My favorite is The Piano Teacher, and I think his best is Amor. Um, great minds, bro. Great minds. <laughs> Amor, so I, I watched Amor for the first time uh, about three or four days ago, um, and it just blew my mind. Like, it, everything that I had seen in every film that Haneke did just kind of done perfectly in this movie in terms of execution and story and character and um I, I just find it so impressive that you can you can tell one of the most beautiful love stories by only showing the 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 worst parts of of what love is. And, you know, everybody, you know, I, I think most people, I should say, not everybody, but most people would sign up for a life where, you know, you you spend the rest of your life with the, the person that you love the most. Um, but then just showing the reality of of what that is um and and kind of the brutality of it but um the the fact that there's that whole underlying love story behind it the whole time i, ju I just think it's such a like a poetic beautiful concept um and executed perfectly i am a little different than both y'all oh let's hear it so i think that his best movie is the piano teacher this movie is exceptional again if you have not seen the piano teacher watch it asap put it at the top of your watch list it's incredible and my favorite Henneke movie is still Funny Games. Great I don't pick. care what anyone says. The uh, original? Yeah, the original. I think the original is a lot better than the Hollywood version. I think the Hollywood version is great. I mean, Tim Roth, Naomi Watts, Michael Pitt, great cast. Basically, uh, in a lot of ways, a shot-for-shot -shot remake. They even the house they built looks so similar to the house in the, in the original film. But the original is just perfect storytelling. It's so dark and disturbing. And I love how divisive it is. I love how a lot of people hate it. You see that a lot, a lot. Yeah. It, it's so funny too, because I saw something that he said um, he wanted to, because it, you'll, you never see that where a, a director shoot, shot for shot remakes uh, a film that he already made, you know, just a couple of years later, I think it was 10 years later. Um, but he said that he did it because he felt like it was better suited for an American audience. That makes sense. It makes sense. It's a, it's Finally, a, it's a discussion on on violence and do we in our our love for watching violence. And I mean, home invasion movies were hot in the two thousands in America. I think so he hot. saw a potential and an opportunity. But there's a reason why they broke the yeah. There's a reason, but there's a reason why they break yeah. the fourth wall. It's the they're poking fun at it and they're winking at the audience the whole time because that's what America loves. America loves to use violence as entertainment that's yeah, uh, he's yeah. looking at you he's like you're sick you yeah, like exactly. this you're sick yeah. there's something wrong with you watch this <laughs> meanwhile i made it but you know <laughs> what else you guys got a henneke oh this i mean there's so much but i mean in terms of actors um like i said earlier hubert and benos are two of my favorite actors they're both wonderful french actresses they've also done so many other films and they've made plenty of american films so you've seen them in other movies if you can't think of them off the top of your head um but julia pinoche has uh, a more prolific uh, english-speaking career be um but it was isabel hubert is mainly mostly done um european films but they're both wonderful actors and they work really well 
in these roles that he writes for for strong women who go through absolute turmoil. And also the male actors are all terrific performers as well. Um, speaking of funny games, is actually Benny from Benny's video. Yeah, he's, young, he's, he's the, the he's lead of, of funny games. And um, there's something about his direction of actors where they always deliver resounding performances and just they capture like it's not like it's not mumblecore like realism dial like it just I wouldn't call it mumblecore but it is extremely realistic not just how people behave but how they speak to one another and he embraces the trivialities of conversation rather than having dialogue always be paramount to the plot or important information for what's happening in the story he embraces the mundane he embraces small talk and I think a lot of Hollywood directors are afraid to embrace that of maybe worrying to bore the audience but that's another way that the audience is able to connect because characters they'll talk about the kinds of things you talk about on a daily day basis but then then you insert this insane concept or conflict into that world and I think that makes us really relate to the characters because you know they'll be having dinner and they'll be talking about work or they'll be talking about something to happen and it, that small talk aspect to his dialogue, I think, is really paramount to the realism working. And his patience. You know, The Seventh Continent's a movie where you're wondering for a little while, because I went into that movie blind. I didn't even know the synopsis. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, Henneke, The Seventh Continent, here we go. And then when you find out what it's really about, it takes a while to get there. And when you get there, it's worth the wait, and it's worth the mystery and the intrigue and the ambiguity because, like I said, he lulls you into, not every movie, but he lulls you into a sense of, not mundanity, but in normal, normalism, but just like yeah. life. Yeah. Lulls you into life that like, oh, this is a story that I can relate to. But then you also can relate to it to an extent of like crazy things happen. You know, there every crazy things that can happen to anybody. Like, like Anthony said, like this could happen to anybody. It's like it takes it takes such a mundane, average scenario and it turns it up to dial ten and like w- without like un- unexpectedly. It's not. It's not like it's a private investigator. That it's it's yeah. It's just it's just like a musician who's dealing with something like this. And there's something that is always present in Haneke movies. Almost every Haneke movie, and that's like bookshelves everywhere. <laughs> the characters are always named George and Anne. Almost always. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, and um, and there's a lot of Schubert. Uh, he he loves he loves classical music. He loves classical music. Um, German yeah. German composer. Uh, but another thing too, just about character um and the performances that he drives out. I think, I, I think naturally the, the use of long takes and and relying on that as a as a filmmaker allows your your actors as well to collaborate a lot better and establish chemistry. So I think that's another factor that could contribute to the performances that he drives out of out of his actors. That's exactly right because what makes him different not just with the long takes and he doesn't do six setups for each shot for each scene. He doesn't do medium close up wide, medium close up wide and then what happens with the production on that is you have actors who are they have to do an entire half a day of takes with that other person being filmed. Then it's their turn. With Henneke, he's just doing one shot. And so they, they can put everything into the performance just for that one shot that he frames. And that that's it. That I think that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head. I watched this movie this year, guys, called Wild Tales. It's uh, a film from South America. 
and it was Argent. It's an Argentinian film, the biggest film in Argentina history at the time of its release, and it's a a six part short story anthology film. And I highly recommend watching it in case you guys haven't seen it because it has similar qualities to the way that he tells his stories in terms of taking a normal person or like a mundane life and then having something absurd happen to it, but a much more comical approach and a lot quicker. But I highly recommend if, if anyone likes Henneke movies, if anyone likes disturbing things or, or wild things that happen to ordinary people, not like an assassin, not a detective, not a hitman, but just like what happens to someone in road rage, the worst possible scenario of road rage. What happens, what could be the worst possible situation that happens to you at your wedding? What's the worst possible situation that happens to you if your, if your car gets towed? Like, like just pushing the boundaries of human life and Wild Tales from Argentina, I can't recommend it enough. I think you both would really enjoy it. But it's a much more funny approach. I, I'm going to check it out. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. I could use a laugh. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. I put it on my watch list, actually. You mentioned it in the in one of the Letterboxd uh, episodes. So I have it on my watch list. I'm definitely going to check it. I, lo- I love anthology stuff, too. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the best ones I've seen when it comes to like an anthology movie. All right, speaking of Letterboxd, I have my Letterboxd top 10 ranking of Haneke. I didn't rank t- Haneke's movies, but you guys go ahead. All right, you have one as well? <laughs> Do you want to go first or me first? I don't have ten though. I think I, I think I might be missing one here, but I'm gonna I'll, I'll stick with the eight that I have. All right, I'll do I'll do the ten first then. Yeah, because you might All you right. might remind me of one that I've seen mm-hmm. that I don't have here. All right, so he's made more movies than this, but this is just his top ten best. He's also made a couple TV movies, but these are his feature uh, releases. Happy End at number ten, which is actually his ironically his most recent movie, but I also I think it's one of his weaker films. Um, then I have at number nine, Benny's video at number eight. I have the castle at number seven, code unknown at six catch also known as hidden. And then number five, I have the seventh continent. Number four, the white ribbon. Number three, funny games. Number two, Amor, And then number one, the piano teacher. Very nice. Um, so I have eight here. I have funny games listed twice as well. So, um, and I, and I went on, I, I went by what I think is his best to worst. So I have, uh, in, in last place, in eighth place, I have funny games, the, the American 2007 version. Then I have funny games, uh, the, the OG. So I, I have funny games at the, at the bottom of my list. <laughs> You and James are going to throw hands. I don't mind, man. I don't mind at all. <laughs> then I have Benny's video. Then I have Cache. Then I have Code Unknown, The White Ribbon, The Piano Teacher, and Amor, number one. Nice ranking. What do you guys think is his most what-the-fuck movie? Benny's video. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, seventh, seventh, con- seventh, con- seventh, con- seventh Continent. Yeah. Seventh Continent. Seventh Continent for me. Oh, bro! Make that make that your next to watch then, because it's really it's it's the it's most fucked what up, the man. what the it fuck is. kind of movie. It is, him, it is even a long, for him, even for him, it's a long what the fuck yeah. <laughs> for like a half hour. <laughs> it's crazier. It's crazier than Funny Games. It's like oh my god, what? But then you're just like you just can't stop watching. My funny Games is missing. The reason I have it last is because I I feel like it's missing. Um. It's kind of missing that classic Haneke touch of, of almost having that that additional substance. It's kind of just there to be fucked up. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I totally agree. It's great filmmaking, and and um, it's done differently than you would see 
you know, an American version of that film done, even, you know, through his American version of the film. But um, I, I don't know. I just like, I like everything else a little bit better. I think Benny's video is the most fucked up, like what the fuck in the sense of the character and the story. But when I, when I watched the piano teacher for the first time, I was speaking to Michael Haneke when I said, what the fuck are you doing? If anyone listening, if anyone listening likes, um, Yorgos Lanthimos films, specifically yeah. like Killing of a Sacred Deer, Dogtooth. I think they'd really be into Haneke films. I agree. Specifically yeah. something like Benny's Benny's video. It's just lacking the comedy. <laughs> Plus they both, Yorgos and Haneke, they're those special filmmakers that can really create their own tone where you turn it on and you know you're in their world. You're in Haneke's world. You're in Yorgos Lanthimos' world. They have that ability. You know, Kubrick had that as well. Scorsese has it like their own tone its own universe own storytelling magical fantasy story that like you just know you're in that world if that makes sense that's, yeah, that's yeah. a really good point too <laughs> with, with Haneke movies even though like we talked about them being mundane average situations but there is almost like a twilight zone element to like what happens to the characters like the characters have been targeted and have been brought to a place where something bad is going to happen to them for no real explained reason. Um, it's just circumstantial, but it's it's kind of it's it's happening just to them, and they're being isolated in this reality of like terror. So um, yeah, I think that kind of like f- fantasy element. I I see that connection too with like Yorgos because yeah, I think I do too. Yeah. It's another great correlation know, between man, another I'm great just, director. Make, You're like wicked smart guy. I, I, Do you have ha- like a movie podcast I or have something? To, I have to keep my reputation up. I'm dropping the references all day. Gus Van Sant, Yorgos Lanthimos. I've seen some movies before. To quote Dwight Schrute, I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's great, God. It's a great joke. But um, I love <laughs> Haneke. He's someone who showed me that um, movies are more than just uh, the American Hollywood studio system. And that European, he opened me, he's a filmmaker that opened me up to the doors of European cinema in a big way. I was young when I got into him and um, I've been hooked on him ever since. And he is one of my all-time favorite directors. And I don't think he cares about recognition um, from Americans. Uh, I think that uh, as long as he has stories to tell and can do that, that's all that matters to him. And whatever, whoever wants to watch them, that's fine. But like, I think that he just really cares that I have something to say, and I'm gonna do it. And nobody, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push the buttons that nobody else will push, and I'm gonna stretch the art form and what you can do with it, um, with every film. And that's what really makes him special and separate from any other filmmaker. Well said, my man. Well said. All right, how about we wrap up our Haneke director spotlight, fellas? That's fun. It's nice to talk about him. Yeah, N- Nick. Thanks so much for. Being such a huge supporter of the show, you're a longtime fan, friend of the show. I mean, you support us so much. We appreciate you helping us with the short film as well. Eventually, that will be seen by everyone, but give us patience in the festival circuit. Please right give now. us patience, everyone. But um, so happy that you're getting seen it. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> Love that you're into that Michael Haneke and, and exploring international cinema. 
Thanks so much. We appreciate you. You want to say anything else to the Raiders fans out there? I just want to say thank you guys. Um, you know, hopefully don't you don't lose too many subscribers from me <laughs> recommending this topic for uh for I'm you know, glad you did. No, but um no, I'm really happy I got to do this with you guys. It's a lot of fun. And uh, everybody, uh, watch Michael Haneke films. And uh, yeah, that's it. Fuck yeah, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We appreciate you all so much. Take care. See you next time.